0: What is God's secret to greatness begins with an h humility. The world doesn't like humility very much. And I started this series talking about hey it's it's pride month in the world. It's pride pride month and we're not the people of pride. We are the people who aim for humility. Why is that? Because Jesus didn't come in pride. He came in humility. The scripture says in Philippians chapter two that he, though he was in the very form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself and made himself nothing, becoming a servant. He humbled himself and obeyed God even to the point of death. And then God gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is the model for our lives, and it is also the answer to our lives. Humility is not on the radar of our culture. So it's time for the church to talk about it. And we've talked about several things that humility does, produces in the life of a Christian. I want to recap that. Today's message is finding myself through humility. Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, we're going to get there in a moment. But finding myself through humility. So real quick recap of these uh, three weeks. Week one, we talked about the fact that purpose comes through humility. Purpose. You want to find what you're made for? Humble yourself. Let God humble you. James and John came to Jesus. We want to be at your right and left. And Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup? Can you go through the baptism? Can you suffer? Can you be humbled? And they said, yes, we can. He said, you will. And they found their purpose through their Humility. Second week we talked about healing comes through humility. Naaman the great uh, commander of the Syrian armies who had to learn how to listen to people who were not up to his level of life, quote unquote. To people who are not his equals. To people who are not like him. And when he learned how to listen to God's servants, he got healed. And we talked about how healing comes through humility. Today, identity. Identity, I believe, is found through humility. Finding myself through humility. Now let's get to Romans chapter 12. I want to just first notice that we are in Romans chapter 12. Somebody say 12. Now turn to your neighbor and say that means 11 chapters came before it. There is a very important point we have to make about Romans 12 before we read it. And that is that Paul, the apostle, the original writer of Romans, a letter in the first century to a church, much like ours, in the city of Rome, thus the name Romans, and he's writing to them about the gospel, what Jesus has done for humanity that ultimately we have to remember this regularly. The Bible is not a religious textbook, nor is the Bible a blueprint for living. And the Bible is not a manual for living. Some people treat the Bible like it's a manual, and I know that they're failing miserably at that because there's a lot of things the Bible tells us to do that we no longer do, such as killing animals and shedding their blood just for our own failures. Now, how many of you are glad we don't do that anymore? This place would be a mess. Come on, somebody. But for 11 chapters in the book of Romans, Paul is doing what the whole Bible is doing. He's telling us what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. Really, Romans is the gospel. You want to know what God's been doing? That's what he's been doing. It's in Romans. And we we in the church we kind of simplify things. We have a knack for doing that. And I do appreciate that we simplify things. But in my day when I was growing up, they used to call it the Romans Road. How many are familiar with the Romans Road? Several verses out of the book of Romans to summarize the gospel. So it started in Romans 3:23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Step 1. But step two, Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And then if you keep reading, you get to Romans 10, verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be, what's the word? saved. And then you got to back up a little bit to get out the benefits of what God has done for you in Christ Jesus. You go back to Romans chapter 8, and Romans chapter 8 says, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And then Romans 8 closes out, Romans eight thirty nine, saying, and now nothing in all creation can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And that is the Roman's road. We are failed sinners. We deserve death. God gave us the gift of his son Jesus at the cross 2,000 years ago. If we believe it, if we receive it, we get no condemnation and no separation from our God for eternity. Hallelujah. The gospel, amen? That's Roman's 1 through 11. I've just summarized it so perfectly you don't have to read it. I'm just kidding. You should read it and read it regularly. When we get to Romans chapter 12, Paul now starts to unpack the now what for those who receive the gospel. Would you stand with me if we all stand together for the reading of God's word, giving respect for his word. Let's read together Romans chapter 12 Verse one, Paul saying, I appeal to you therefore, somebody say therefore. Yes. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, some translations say your reasonable worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, and perfect. Now, usually when we read Romans 12, we stop there, but there's so many, there's so many goodies past verse 2. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And we're going to stop there. Lots more that we could talk about in this passage, but we're going to stop there. This is the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we quiet our souls in this moment. We quiet our minds. And we say, have your way. We pray, Jesus glorify yourself in the preaching of your word. May we hear your voice. May our hearts be receptive to what you're saying. And may we see you, you and you alone. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a seat. The key word in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, is therefore. In light of all that God has done for you, 11 chapters unpacking God's plan from the foundations of the world to undo the damage done by sin by sending his son Jesus as a second Adam, as a new son of God, as the eternal son of God, that Adam's sin led to death for everyone, so Christ's death leads to life for everyone, all these wonderful theological treaties that Paul unpacks for 11 chapters in the book of Romans, all that is ours in Christ Jesus, all that we have, all that we have received, all that God has done. Now, verse 1, chapter 12, therefore, and whenever you see therefore in the Bible, please always ask yourself, what's it there for? (laughs) Because God has done something. And I really just kind of want to leave you with this Before God asks you to do anything, he wants to tell you first what he's done for you. I don't know how you approach the Bible, but most people approach the Bible wrong. They really do. They think that the Bible is an instruction manual, it's a book of rules, regulations, and they measure themselves by its regulations and they fail miserably as we all do. And we go to the Bible, say, and usually this is what we do. We go to the Bible when we've hit rock bottom. And I'm not talking about Christians, I'm talking about non-Christians, when nothing else works. And there's probably an old grandma that went to church faithfully every week and she has a Bible up on the shelf. And so we go get the Bible. She handed it down to us before she died. She gave us the Bible. We were like, oh, thanks, ma. Thanks, grandma, for the Bible. Here it is up on the shelf. But now my life stinks. Let me pull it down off the shelf, blow the dust off it. And then how many do this? Lord, I need wisdom. I need an answer. Can you tell me what to do? Then Judas went and hung himself. Right? You know. That can't be God's word. So go and do likewise. I mean, this is not this is not working. <laughs> and that's going to God's word uninformed. Uninformed. Because what you have to realize is that There's 11 chapters before chapter 12 of Romans because Paul is trying to make the point that before you ever do anything for God, you have got to first baptize your mind in understanding what he has done for you. This is the heart of the gospel. This is the heart of our our message. So he says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Point number one, if you're taking notes, write it down. I find out who I am by offering my life to God based on what he's done for me. I find out who I am by giving my life to the one who gave me life, God, based on the fact that he purchased my life at the cross 2,000 years ago. This is what Paul is saying in verse 1. Let's read it again up on the screen now. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. By the mercies. If you've got your notes out, just circle the S in mercies. Mercies. Plural. It was the mercy of God to send Jesus to be one of us. It was the mercy of God for Jesus to obey the Father perfectly. It was the mercies of God for Jesus to go to the cross. It was the mercies of God that Jesus came out of that grave. It's the mercies of God that he ascended to the right-hand side of God the Father. It's the mercies of God that he does not hold your sins against you anymore, the sins you committed in the past, the sins you're going to commit today, the sins you commit in the future. It is the mercies of God that are new every single morning so that you have right standing with him, not because of your works but because of Jesus' finished work mercies and then he says now because of the mercies of god present present your bodies now here's where we stumble we don't want to give our bodies to god we don't want to give two things to god we don't want to give our bodies to god and we don't want to give our money to god those two things i have found especially in america and if you look at the political divide that's the divide right there one side of the political divide says it's my body my choice And the other part of the political divide says, it's my money. I earned it. And both parties are arguing against each other and blaming each other for the problems in this country. And what you have to understand is God comes to his people and says, it's not your body and it's not your money. Surrender it to me and I will make something of it that's far more beautiful than you could ever imagine. And you say, well, I just struggle. I struggle giving God my life. We all do. Uh, How many of us have days where we just want to take the reins of our lives and just do it exactly how we see fit, and God has no clue what he's doing, so we just take over? Yeah, we do that on a regular basis. None of you raised your hand at that moment, which means right now you're trying to take over and tell lies. (laughs) But here's what he says. By the mercies of God. If you have the NIV version, it says in view of God's mercy. Sometimes we need a view of God's mercies. So I was walking around the sanctuary this week, praying about this message and asking God to speak to you, as I do almost every week, and I went over to the soundboard, and on the soundboard, there was a nail, and it looks like this, and I found this, and it was just sitting there, kind of out of place on the soundboard, and it's an old rustic nail. Now, it's a railroad tie. I get that. Somebody left it there. I didn't know who it was, and then at our service last night, the guy said, hey, that was mine. Um... But it was there, and as I was praying about the mercies of God, I took this, and I was just fiddling with it while I was thinking, and then I did this motion. I just put it on my hand, and it just, I was overcome with the reality that this is what happened to Jesus. And you just think about this nail. I used to work at a hardware store. I know nails. This is no eight-penny nail. An eight-penny nail going through your hand would hurt, but this is probably the kind of nail that went through the hands of Jesus, excruciating. I just put it on my hand. I just kind of pushed through. I just, And I thought, some of you need to feel this. We need to get a hold of the mercies of God. Are there any front-row volunteers? Thank you. Just lay your hands out and just feel that. It's just a, and then, it wasn't just resting on Jesus. And then a Roman centurion came, with a mallet, and smashed it through the tendons, separating the bones, tearing through the skin. Anybody else? It's just that's just the weight of the nail. And I was just overcome by this. I just thought about Lord Jesus. What'd you say? It's heavy just went through his hands. And and there's some research done by scientists about how there's a good chance that the nail went and touched this nerve that runs straight from our hand right to our brains. And if it's even slightly affected by outside forces, it sends excruciating pain up and down our spines. The mercies of God. I mean... Len, you work with hammers and nails. Yeah, Yeah, he's hit his finger. It hurts. I mean, what do we do when we hit our finger? We flip out. And then our our week is ruined. And and Jesus took this nail. One more, because I got four points to go through. You're going to have to be the last one. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to just do a little experiment with you. Just, Diane, just a little bit pushed through like just a little pressure mm. ouch <laughs> he took the ouch of sin and shame for you you got some ouches in your life ouch of guilt the ouch of failure the ouch of rejection and betrayal Jesus took it. Do you understand that this nail, his nails, are what separate Christianity from every other religion on the face of this earth? Muhammad never took the nails. Buddha never took the nails. The Pope never took the nails. I never took the nails. He took the nails. He took the nails. And this is why you've got to read the Bible rightly to know that the Bible is not first telling you what you need to do to please God. The Bible is first telling you what God has done to save you so that you are empowered to please him with your life. And that if he took the nails, if he took the nails, the only response that I can reasonably give in worship to God is, you can have my life. You paid for it. You bought it. You shed your blood for it. This is how we must read the scriptures. What are Christians? They are Christians who have responded to God's goodness. They are not good people. I've met plenty of Christians to know firmly that Christians are not good people. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Does anybody know a bad Christian? If you don't know one, you are one, okay? We are not good people, we are bad people who God was good to. Hallelujah, and because he was good to us when we didn't deserve it, we respond. In in many ways, we respond in goodness. We respond through his goodness to not just be a receptor of his goodness, but to be a channel of his goodness to touch other people's lives. Give me your body, God says. Give me your money. Give me your life. Surrender to my plan for you. This is how you find yourself. But there's more. Do not be conformed, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world. In another translation, it says the pattern of this world. How many know there's a pattern to our world? The word conformed here uh, is the word schematizo in Greek, meaning um, a scheme that is planned for you. Uh, Just look at the first part of the word, scheme. The world has a scheme. Friends, please listen to this. The world is not just doing life. There's a scheme to it. I don't know about you, but I don't like schemes. My kids are always up to schemes. (laughs) What's the scheme today, right? People, but out there in our world, there's a scheme. Don't let the scheme get in you. Don't let the scheme shape you. But be renewed by the... But but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What are we doing right now? Just thinking about the nails. What are we doing right now just thinking about the nails? We are renewing our minds because we forget. We forget the price. We forget what was paid for us. And what God wants to do is bring your mind back to his original intention. And when you get your mind right around the gospel, now you start to to live and think according to God's goodness and love for you and not according to the schemes this world has planned for you. Number two, I find out who I am when I reject self-absorption. you got to reject the spirit of the age. You've got to reject pride. Self-absorption is at an all-time high. We talked about this in week one. And really, this has been talked about in the scriptures in 2 Timothy chapter three. Paul says, in the last days there will be times of great difficulty, for men will be lovers of self. Paul says, you know what's gonna be so bad about the end times? You know what's gonna be so bad about the last days before Jesus comes? Men will be lovers of themselves. Now if that doesn't describe this time, I don't know what does. We are more in love with ourselves than ever before. Everybody's got unlimited access, unlimited opportunities to broadcast themselves, to share themselves, to talk about themselves, to portray themselves, and to celebrate themselves. And Paul says, this is awful. This is not what we are made for. This is not what we are designed for. And I talked about this on week one, the narcissist myth. It comes from Greek mythology. Narcissist was a Greek god who saw his reflection in the water and fell madly in love with himself. And because he could never materialize a physical relationship with himself, he was thoroughly depressed and he killed himself. And I talked about the fact that the more narcissistic you get, the more suicidal you become we got a serious suicide problem, and it's kind of ironic how it's at the same time in our history where we are becoming more self-absorbed than ever before. You're not made for this. It's, it's counter to your DNA and who you are. So get out of that scheme and give your life to God. Don't focus on you. Focus on him. Reject self-absorption. Now, we are all naturally self-absorbed. I know that we are, here's a simple test to find out if you're self-absorbed. When you are in a group photo and somebody shows it to you, who do you look for first? (laughs) Then, test number two, how do you judge the quality of said group photo? by how you look. So, you know, ladies, you're wedding pictures and you're taking your pictures with your man, you know, you're doing the wedding pose. And your husband could be like cross-eyed with his tongue hanging out and drool coming down his chin. But if you just look just right, you're gonna be like, honey, that's a beautiful picture of us. That's going on our mantle forever. That's self-absorption. And, and here's what Paul says. He says, look, because of what God has done for you, because of the nails, you gotta look outside of yourself. So four, verse three, for by the grace given to me, I say to each one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but think of yourself with sober judgment. Notice the Bible's not against you thinking of yourself. It's just think of yourself rightly. There are two there are two extremes that we do like I think about this too this word sober. let's talk about that word sober. What is sober? In our, in our culture, sober is when you're not what drunk? Well, when you get pulled over, if you've been drinking too much, I've heard I haven't had this experience. but if you get pulled over, what does the, what does the cop do? He tries to get you to right does he still do do they still do this? Yeah, okay, so what are they trying to do? Can you walk straight? Can you not stumble to the right or to the left? And I thought about here's the two extremes. This is what thinking too much of yourself looks like. When you can't stop talking about yourself. When you can't stop thinking about what you deserve. Entitlement mentality is a sign of self-absorption, by the way. I deserve, I deserve, I deserve. When you're never satisfied. When you're never happy and thankful. Self-absorption. Because you have this inner feeling that you deserve better. That's not, that's not ambition. That's pride. And then I thought about the other side is when you demean yourself. You say, P- Pastor, it doesn't make sense. Demeaning yourself is not self-absorption. That's, that's a low self-esteem. Wrong. Mm-mm. A lot of people demean themselves all the time because they want other people to counter what they're saying. So they walk around talking about how bad they are, how ugly they are, how their hair is terrible, how their body is so nasty, so that other people will say, no, that's not true. You're wonderful, look at you, you're beautiful. And they're like, no, that's not true, that's not true. Uh Uh-uh, I'm a loser. I'm a loser, right? That's just another form of self-absorption because you just need somebody to praise you. What it looks like to have your life rooted in the gospel is to say, I know that I'm valuable to God. He sent his son Jesus and he took the nails from me. I know that I'm loved because his love is as high as the heavens, higher than the heavens. I know that I have a purpose, I know that I have a use because God does not make junk. I know that I am called. I know that I am healed. I know that I am blessed. What we sang about this morning, we said that to say this, you've got to start rooting yourself in what God has done for you so that you don't look to other people to do for you something that only God can do. So don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Lose yourself in the love of God for you. Lose yourself in the nails. This is why Jesus will tell his disciples in Matthew chapter 16, He says, if you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. And I just wanted to read that passage from the message translation. Verse 24 of Matthew 16, Jesus went to work on his disciples. Anyone who intends to come to me, come with me, has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat, I am. Don't run from suffering, embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. And then look at verse 25. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to finding yourself, your true self. What is he saying? By the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice to the one who made it. This is how we find ourselves. It's counterintuitive. It runs against the grain of everything we're instilled with from birth. To make much of ourselves, to develop ourselves, to celebrate ourselves, to to push ourselves to the top. Now there's nothing wrong with success and there's nothing wrong with going after a good life. There's nothing wrong with that. It's the motives that matter. Why are you going after that? Why are you trying to get ahead? Why are you so obsessed with getting your master's degree before the age of 23? Why are you so obsessed with being a CEO? Why are you so obsessed with being married with three kids and a white picket fence? Why, why is that? And if your motive is because my sister is looking at me or my father never loved me or people need to celebrate me, then those motives are failed. Those are faulty motives and that's not what you're made to do because what you're doing is you're trying to live for the praises of man instead of the pleasure of God. And if you learn how to deepen your love for God through what? Knowing what he has done for you in the Gospel, Romans one through 11, then you will celebrate the reality that you are already loved, you are already celebrated, you are already worth something because God has done that for you in Christ Jesus. So uh, reject the self-absorption because it's a failed effort and our current cultural climate is proving that every single day. Romans 12 verse 4 says, for as in one body we have many members. Now we're going to get into this. I want to dig down here because look at the verse... there. And in your notes, please do this. Circle the word for, if you will. Just circle. There's a connector word. Don't brush by that word. It's a connector word. That word signifies that based on what Paul has said from verse 3, we got to tie what he just said in verse 3 to verse 4. So what did he just say in verse 3? Think of yourself with what kind of judgment? Sober, not drunk judgment. So why, Paul? Because for. As in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of what? You would think in that moment he would say of God, members of God, members of Jesus. But he doesn't, does he? We are members of one another. You want to know how to find yourself? I'm gonna give you a hint that nobody talks about anymore. You are only truly yourself when you realize that you are defined by your relationships, the connections that you have. It's a fact, it's a fact. Let me unpack it for you and then I'll get to the point. How many people did it take to make you? Have you been to fifth grade, anybody? (laughs) Two. the answer is two don't say three that's weird <laughs> two unless your mother was bipolar two okay um, you were born through community when you were born you were given a name did you pick the name Mm-mm. somebody picked it for you they probably gave you a middle name probably a name most likely from a relative connection. And and then you were raised, surrounded by a certain group of people who shaped you. This is why I always say individuality is a myth. For as much as our world wants to chase individuality, it really doesn't exist. There's no such thing as individuality. There's no such thing. Everybody is the sum total of their connecting parts. And you know this to be true, because if you were born not in America, but in South Sudan you would be a totally different person than you are today. I'm not talking about skin color, I'm just talking about your mindset and the race and the the way that you think and the way that you see the world. And so my point is that you were produced by community into a community and shaped by community. Now what happens is God takes you and puts you in a new community and shapes you and builds you and grows you, not individually, but through the community that is his church. This is how you find out who you really are because this is what God has been doing from the foundation of Christianity, putting people into the family of God. So this is the point that I'm trying to make. Number three, I find out who I am in connection to Christ's body, the church. That's what Paul says. He says you want to find yourself, lose yourself into the body of Christ. The body of Christ will shape you. The body of Christ will help you find your gifts, establish your talents, know who you are, where you belong, where you fit. And the illustration that Paul says, there's one body to your being, there's one body to your being, and as in that body, there's many parts, and the parts do not all have the same function. I think about my arm right now. My arm has a forearm, an elbow, what's this part of the arm, bicep, shoulder, and it's connected through bones and ligaments and muscles and tissue. Never once in my 42 years of life has the forearm ever complained that it's not the bicep. It just happily goes about its duty. And it's not like, why am I not the bicep? Why am I not the bicep? Like, he doesn't do that. He functions according to his placement. So here's a great point about uh, uh, rejecting self-absorption is, instead of comparing yourself to other parts of the body, why don't you celebrate their connection to you and how they help you become what you should be? Instead of saying, well, why did God choose them for that? And why does God give them that? And why did God do that for them and not for me? Maybe God did that for them to shape something in you. Maybe God changed their lives in such a way to inspire your life in a certain direction so that he could get you to where you need to be. But it doesn't happen in a vacuum. It happens in connection. For as in one body we have many members, and though we are many, we are one body in Christ Jesus and members of one another. God does not create people, he, uh, God does not create individuals, He creates a community. 1 Peter 2.9, think about the phraseology here from our, our big brother Peter. Look what he says. For you are a chosen, what? Race, that's plural. A royal, what? Plural. A holy, what? Plural. A people, plural, of his own position that you should proclaim the glories of him, the, the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Community creates your identity. Yes, You are who you are through your connections to the body of Christ. This is why you can't just come to church on occasion and do church on your own. So many people I meet out there, and they say, well, I don't go to church, but I'm Christian. Or they say, I'm spiritual, not religious. I'm not into the system. And I understand the system can be flawed in many respects. But the system for all of its flaws, if it celebrates Jesus, is still worth it. And so you can't do this individually. You can't truly grow until you connect to the body. If I cut my arm off and I expect it to grow, I'm a fool. A severed arm from the body is not to be celebrated and, and to be repeated. It is to be identified for what it is, a crime scene. Something went wrong. An accident has happened. So you can't just sit in your car and listen to podcasts and worship to Hillsong music and call that church. (laughs) You just can't do it. you got to get in. I've been hurt by the church. Welcome to the club. Well, church people let me down. Welcome to the club. But for all the failures and all the faults of the church, it's still his bride. It's still the Lord Jesus' bride, and he's not done with her yet. Oh, I know she's messed up. I know she's, she's, in many respects, she's a monster. She can be abusive. She can be so temperamental sometimes. I understand that. But the Lord Jesus is still washing her and cleansing her and making her a perfected bride for the great wedding supper of the Lamb yet to come when Jesus returns. Amen. And I'm going to tell you, you don't find any kind of community like this community in the world. Do you know why we're getting so politically divided today? Because we've given up on church. We left the churches and we need community so we'll get into our political churches and shout at each other. That's what's happening right now in America. Do you know why we've got racial tension at an all-time high? Because we left the church. Remember that Martin Luther King Jr. started the civil rights movement from the church. And now we have different kinds of racial movements with no connection to the church and they're filled with hate and animosity toward one another, both white and black, and just constant yelling, yelling, yelling at each other, hating each other, why? Because we left the foundation of true community where people who may have voted differently on Tuesday come and sit next to each other on Sunday and worship the same Jesus who is over the politician who gets elected at the end of the day, (laughs) hallelujah. We need to get back to that. It's community. There's no community like the community of Christ. There's none. It has shaped me and made me who I am today. I am not up here celebrating what God has done in me. I am celebrating what God has done through the body of Christ that he has blessed me with to make me who I am today. And so it can be with you. Number four, I find out who I am through activating my gifts for the benefit of Christ's body, the church. When I activate my gifts, I find myself. That's what I want you to hear. When I activate my gifts, I find who I really am. You say, I don't have any gifts. Stop there. For it says in verse 4, the members do not all have the same function. That means all the, all the members do have a function. It's just not the same. And then verse 6, it says, having gifts that differ. I have a gift. You have a gift. Paul's not saying, and the really gifted people of you among you should be on the stage singing and preaching, and the rest of you watch. <laughs> That's not the church. Now, there's a, there's a valid um, argument in the scriptures to have the teaching, public teaching, and preaching of God's Word and worship together in this kind of community, but there's also the necessity to activate our gifts in small net communities, or in other kinds of communities, mission communities, to do things for the benefit of the world and each other with the gifts that God has given us. And you say, I don't have any gifts. And the reason why you don't have any gifts or you don't think you have any gifts is because you have not yet stepped out to activate the gifts. This is how God works. He, acti- he, he steps in when we step out. When the people of Israel had to cross the Jordan, Joshua was commanded, you tell those priests to put their feet in the water carrying the ark. When they put their feet in, the waters will stop, and they did. You've got to step out for God to step in. This is so true with your calling, with your gifting, with your talents. You've got to give. We've got to get over the idea that God only gifts the people with the microphones on the stage on Sunday morning. That's just not true. There are so many people with gifts here they have yet to realize. So what we do here at Water Church, we have team night where you can come and explore the opportunities that God has for you. The opportunities of his gifts to work through your life. So, this past team night, which we will have again, I think, in August, so just be ready for that. But this past team night, I came down to meet the people who were gathered outside this building, this room right over here. And I saw a couple who I had gone to Guatemala with, and I walked up to them, and I just said, hey, how are you guys doing? Glad to have you here. And it was their first time at team night, and they said to me, well, we honestly don't think we have anything to do here. We don't think we have any gifts to offer here. And I said, that's not true. And this is an amazing moment for us, because this is what happens. Uh, it just came to my mind to say, you know what God said to Moses? He said, what's in your hand? That's all I said. Because at the burning, burning bush, remember this? Burning bush? And God says to Moses, Moses is like, no, send somebody else, I'm not the right guy, I stutter, I got problems, no, 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 no. God says, what's in your hand? His staff was in his hand. So I said, you know, God said to Moses, what's in your hand? Now at the time, the man that I was talking to, the couple, he had a cup of coffee, a specialty coffee from Dunkin' Donuts in his hand. And then he said, well, I used to be a barista. And I said, 14 feet in that direction is a cappuccino machine behind the counter of our cafe. And I hadn't seen what was in his hand when he said that, when I said, what's in your hand? That's what we preachers like to call a God moment. <laughs> I know it's not the burning bush. You know? I know it's not way up there, right? It's not Daniel the lion's den, I get it. But it's a small little mo- moment. It's a small little moment where God is trying to get his children step out and see what you can do. And I am happy to report that the man has since signed up to serve you people in the cafe to help you connect with God. <laughs> You say, that's not very spiritual. Let me just tell you something. I'm a big fan of caffeine. <laughs> if caffeine's not in heaven, I don't know if I want to go. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Hallelujah. The only reason why you have the ability to pay attention to me for 45 minutes is because of the gift of caffeine. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus for the cocoa bean, somebody. Okay that's a gift that God can start to activate. But, you know, it doesn't stop there because we had a guy here in this church who stepped out in faith and just started greeting people at the door. And then he stepped out in faith and he decided to do a soup kitchen. And then he stepped out in faith and he decided to oversee the deacons. And then he stepped out in faith and he started to oversee some treasury department issues. And then he stepped out in faith. And one by one, step after step after step, he went from handing out bulletins to being our executive pastor. His name is Shane Parsons. That's how it works. But at some point, you've got to step out for God to step in. Yes, you find yourself through your connections to the body of Christ and serving it. So the last thing I want you to write down is this. I find myself, by receiving Christ's gift, Romans 1 through 11, and then, based on what God has done for me, losing myself, connecting myself, and activating myself, in the body of Christ that is how you find yourself but you've got to humble yourself reject the self absorption of this world and see yourself through the nails that put Christ on that cross and then say you can have my body